Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the Athletic Met beat writer Tim Britton. Tim, uh, we've come to the end of the first half and, and the start of the second, and we didn't really do a lot of, we didn't think about, talk about first half awards for these 2021 Mets, and I think there's a pretty good reason for that. Who would you say was the Mets' best player in the first half? Like the I would team say, MVP or something? Yeah, I would go with MVP, Jacob deGrom. Uh, most improved player, somehow also Jacob deGrom. Uh, best pitcher, Jacob deGrom. Uh, best hitter, maybe Jacob deGrom. <laughs> and unsung hero, uh, probably still Jacob deGrom. Right, unless you want to, unless you want to give a little love, which you could, to Aaron Loop, who has had a really nice season, very much under the radar. I, I feel like Aaron Loop uh, embodies more of the unsung part of that than the hero part of it, which is more. Degrading. I don't think we're singing. I th- I feel like oh, yes, you're well. If you want to be yes, so people we do sing about Jacob Degrom, but are we singing enough? <laughs> That's true. I mean, Loop. Like it is Loop's- still unsung. Loops FIP, which is a wonderful start to any sentence to, to say those two words back to back. Loops FIP uh, is 149, which is not that far behind Jacob deGrom's 123. The difference, though, is that Jacob deGrom has thrown 64 more innings uh, over the course of the season so far. So I still think it's probably his award to lose. Yeah, uh, so so that wraps up the Mets' first half awards. Uh, best... <laughs> Best position player, uh, Francisco Lindor, I guess, right? Like it just, um, and, and we'll talk about this with a, with a question a little bit later in the show. It feels like uh, just about every guy on the offensive side of things has done either uh, significantly less than, than one might hope or slightly less than one might hope. Yeah, I think like one of the ideas going into a second half podcast, you know, I like playing over under. Uh, and we've got a first half here. We can take every guy's OPS and be like, is it going to be better or worse in the second half? And I think, like, I don't know that there's a guy on the Mets that you would say would be worse in the second half. You know, like Billy McKinney, maybe, but uh, I'm not sure how, how uh, long he'll be on the roster with, with some guys coming back. Uh, you know, maybe Brandon Nimmo, 841 OPS, or, or J.D. Davis is over 1,000 because he's only played in 14 games. Um, and he, he's coming back this weekend. But really, it's not a hard game to play for so many of these guys. You would expect, you know, obviously a better than 646 OPS for Michael Conforto or 690 for Jeff McNeil or 691 for James McCann or 702 for Francisco Lindor, that, the, 710 for Dom Smith. They're all in that 650 to 710 range, really. Uh, and you'd expect 
most of these guys to be up closer to 770 to 800 to 850. Uh, so uh, I think in in general the expectation is that you know the the Mets record might not be a whole lot better in the second half, but I would expect the offense to be a lot better and the the pitching to to regress a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean in terms of position players who have exceeded expectations, including like and considering playing time as well, because Nimmo the and Davis the stats look great, but they uh, I, it's hard to say they've exceeded expectations because they've missed most of the season. Um, so the the position players that have exceeded expectations, I would say, uh, are Billy McKinney, Luis Guillorme, Tomas Nito, and maybe Jonathan VR. Yeah, you know, VR for a, a time before he got hurt uh, was right up there with Lindor as the leader in uh, Fangraphs wins above replacement for them among position players, uh, which which was not how you you sketch it out at the start of the year. Uh, and I, I think you've seen as the season has gone on. Uh, you know, with guys like VR and and Kevin Pillar and and Jose Peraza, who we've who we've talked about a bit of late, like uh, they get exposed a bit. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel, for instance, like Kevin Pillar's slash line is two eighteen, two fifty six, three eighty nine. He's got a six forty five OPS. Uh, it feels like he's done more than that, but but that is kind of where it's at. And we and and Peraza certainly has felt like he's done more than what his slash line represents because all of his hits win games. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, I would say I guess it's a the Mets offense has a sunny future or or like there's some possibility that whatever environmental factors are are at play this season. And it's so hard to know because there's just so many things going on. Like I've been thinking about it. Has there been like since the dawn of the live ball era in 1920, has there been a period of more like uh, more dramatic flux in the conditions of the baseball environment, like beyond, and that's not even to to consider the COVID and all of the accommodations that teams have made for that, but uh, incorporating humidors in some stadiums, changing the ball perhaps multiple times, and now the whole sticky stuff things, it feels like... um, it, it's probably hard for all of the systems like, you know, that that do park factors and, and adjustments to league averages to fully get a grasp of everything that's handling. And so so I'd say that uh, to me, it's like 90 percent likely that the Mets have just underperformed offensively and overperformed uh, as as a pitching staff. But there's also like that 10 percent chance that this is right exactly what we might have expected if we knew everything there is to know about what's going on with baseball right now yeah well it's you know people have called this like year of the pitcher 2.0 going back to you know 1968 it being the other one but uh you forget that like i believe it was 2012 was also considered a year Mm -hmm. of the pitcher that was when ubaldo jimenez had uh, like a, a 0.9 ERA through through 14 starts or something, uh, and was, ba- was basically the, the best start to a season uh, before Degrom this year in a long time. Uh, and then you had for a, a time there in 2012, 2013, 2014, offense was considerably down from where it had been, obviously in the steroid era and even in like the the late 2000, the late first decade of the two. What do we call that? The aughts, the late aughts. The aughts. Uh, you know. You had teams like the Royals and Giants in the 2014 World Series. The Royals hit like two home runs in a seven-game World Series and almost won. <laughs> they finished one run shy mm-hmm. of winning it. Uh, and the Giants, did, you know, they didn't hit home runs either. Uh, and then they won three World Series in there. 
So you had like a very different game then. And then the second half of the 2015 season is when the home runs started to come around. You had like the, the it seemed like the 2017 World Series with the Dodgers and Astros would be the apex of all of these home runs, that crazy 13 to 12 game, like teams just knocking three run home runs in every half inning. Uh, and then 2018, it like comes back down a bit, the, the offense, because the ball seems to be like fixed or something. And then 2019, it explodes again. Uh, so it's it's really been just uh, it's like a tennis match going back and forth with your head swinging back on a, a swivel uh, with with how offense has played over the last ten years uh, and it's been hard to uh, just know going like how good is an eight hundred OPS going to be <laughs> for a guy how good uh, is a a two eighty average three sixty on base uh, kind of season for someone uh, because uh, the the slugging numbers have changed so much you know we we've gone from like years where, you know, Francisco Lindor would hit 38 home runs. Like, I, I, you know, I watched that happen and it still seems weird. Like, I think he's an an incredibly good baseball player. It's still weird he hit 38 home runs. It's still weird Jose Ramirez hit as many home runs as he did or or Rugnet Odor or like Freddie Galvis had uh, a 20 homer season. Like, guys, you're used to being like, yeah, they they hit. They're good middle infielders who who can hit a bit. You don't expect them to be hitting uh, that many home runs. Yeah, it's been a very strange period in the history of, of Major League Baseball. And I, and I think it's a great call at, at uh, saying that 2017 World Series is sort of, it feels like sort of the apex of like a lot of things <laughs> that have been going on in, in recent years. Like that's like, and also, not for nothing, because a lot of people have, have uh, I think, dismissed it entirely because the Astros won and we know the Astros were banging on garbage cans. That was a spectacularly good World Series. Like that was a, um, one of the best in my book. And that that game five uh, that you referenced was, I think, the best, probably the best baseball game I've ever seen. Uh, regardless of, of whether people were banging on garbage cans, it was just incredible. And uh, you know that's part of the story now. Uh, but it's not about the Mets. And and uh, there is a little bit of news. You referenced Shady Davis coming back, but. Uh, perhaps to in a position of, of more dire need, uh, you bore witness to one possible solution. Yeah, so in, I, w- I was in, we're recording this on Friday morning. I was in Brooklyn on Thursday night uh, to watch Carlos Carrasco's first two innings uh, of competitive baseball as a, as a member of the New York Mets. He was pitching against a, a different uniform uh, and he, he looked pretty good. He threw 27 pitches. Um, you know, his command wasn't like a plus command. He pulled some fastballs. It's what I think was his curveball. Uh, it, it might have been a slower slider. Uh, looked a little loopy at times, but he also got a swing and miss uh, on that and a swing and miss on what looked like a more traditional slider and a, a changeup and his fastball. Uh, so he looked like, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was better than you'd expect for a guy who hasn't pitched uh, a real inning uh, since 2020. Uh, it's not like he's a start away from being major league ready in my mind. Um, you know, I think it's debatable whether this, the strategy the Mets are talking about of having him kind of flesh out his, his rehab uh, and, and build and strength building uh, with his arm can take place at the major league level where, you know, maybe he makes a couple more rehab starts of three and four innings and then he can, he can pitch, you know, four in his first major league start and not be fully stretched out. I don't love that idea. Uh, but I'm I'm willing to be converted to it if his next couple rehab starts go well. What is it that you don't love about that idea? Uh, because, you know, you want someone to have kind of a linear progression uh, like they do in spring training. Uh, and, and Carrasco didn't have a spring training. Like, I, I think if we were talking about someone 
uh, who had gone through everything in spring training. Like, let's say Carlos Carrasco had his spring training, uh, was ready to start the season, and then in his first start of the Major League season hurt his hamstring and has been out since then. Uh, I think it's probably a different story because he'd been built up totally. But, you know, you get into a Major League game, uh, it's a totally different environment than, than what you're pitching in in high A or triple A. It's less controllable uh, for you as a pitcher. The adrenaline is there. Uh, and if you're trying to build him up and say that that first start, he gets hit hard in the first inning and he's throwing 30 pitches, uh, you've got to pull him. Um, and, and that sets him back in, in that ter- in terms of that progression. It sets you back uh, in terms of uh, where you are competitively as a team. Uh, so I like, you know, we've seen with uh, like Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis why they needed to go through the rehab assignments uh, to feel good again uh, and, you know, I think it's tempting to say, like, well, you know, if they're if they're able to play at AAA, they should be able to play in the majors. But a large part of the rehab assignment is finding out if they're able to play even at AAA. Uh, and we've seen when guys have come back a little sooner, uh, they've had they've struggled a bit more to make the uh, adjustment back to the majors. You know, Michael Conforto had a short rehab assignment and and did not and has not uh, hit the ground running uh, back in the major leagues. So I, I think especially with a guy like Carrasco who hasn't pitched much at all this year. I'd rather play it conservative with him. And really the only reason you're talking about having him come back in the major leagues uh, before that's done is because you have so few other options. You know, that's a series of good points. And yet I'm still like, hey, well, if he's healthy enough to play in AAA, he should be able to play in the major leagues. I I feel like they just need innings, you know, and and he's going to pitch them somewhere. I get the controlled environment thing. I think that's correct. But I think, you know, we've also certainly heard of teams uh, having guys throw extra in the bullpen after their, their short starts when they're in that process of stretching out. I don't hate it. I I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the Mets are, this doesn't feel like a season where you, you're going to necessarily be, conservative and, and like i hate to say that for carrasco's sake because he's got a first of all he's got another season uh, potentially under contract with the team and he's got a, a career ahead of, ahead of him you don't want to say oh you can play it uh play it loose with this guy but you know it's a club that i think has played a little bit or or at least it's played under its head in many ways but i think has the the record is better than where they deserve to be the standings there uh the position they are in the standings in first uh and a few games out in front is is perhaps a little ahead of where of where they deserve to be based on their first half play i feel like you got to do what you can to to put the pedal on the metal now and if that's uh letting carlos carrasco be the first head in your in your bullpen game uh, for a, a couple turns uh i don't know i don't hate it well, it's, it's interesting to think about how kind of the landscape of the division impacts that decision, too. Because clearly, you know, if the Mets, uh, let, let's imagine a world where their their entire offense doesn't get hurt for uh, the month of May and they're eight games up in the division rather than four. Uh, and you, you don't have you have a Braves team that just lost Ronald Acuna Jr. not trading for Jock Peterson in that instance. Uh, and you have teams in, in Philadelphia and Washington that are less likely to actually try to, to buy at the trade deadline then you can can pretty easily take your time with Carrasco because your thought is, you know, this is a guy that we are building up to October. That is what is in mind. We're not worried about uh, who's starting our, a game for us on July 29th. We're worried about who's starting game four of a, of a division series. Um, but because it's still relatively tight in the NL East uh, with some like very flawed teams behind them, 
uh, you know, Atlanta, we had, I don't think we've talked about uh, the loss of Acuna and what that does to like the team they can be. Cause to me, the Braves have been the biggest threat to the Mets in the division all season. Mm-hmm. You know, they are the three time defending division champions. They're the best team on paper uh, of those, uh, those ones chasing New York. And now Not they've anymore. lost, they've lost Acuna. Their outfield is a mess. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone expects Marcelo Zuna back at any point this season. Uh, Mike Soroka's out for the season. Like, there, you know, Anderson's going on the aisle. There's, there's really nothing uh, there that makes you think that team is, is capable of going on a run in the second half to, to overtake you unless they make the kind of big trade deadline move that that organization hasn't made in a really long time. Uh, and that even when they've been good the last few years, they have, they've made kind of smaller around the margin trade deadline moves. So I, don't, I certainly don't expect them to do that now. You know, both the Phillies and Nationals are in spots where you know, like Chris Bryant makes a lot of sense for both of those teams just, you know, what what their strengths and weaknesses are, but also are they good enough to go in on a move like that, you know, or is that kind of waste wasting their limited prospect resources chasing a team that you know they're they're under five hundred at this point, uh, and so I, I wonder if the Mets, you know, by the time let let's say they're gearing Carrasco up, that was July fifteenth was his first rehab, maybe the twentieth would be the next, the twenty fifth after that, and saying okay maybe by July thirtieth. He can be the, our, our starter for the back in black Friday night game uh, against Cincinnati. Uh, maybe if by that point the lead is six or seven in the division, maybe if the Phillies and Nationals, you know, that is the night of the trade deadline. Maybe if they're not making the big moves, uh, maybe if the Braves haven't made a, a big splash in the trade market, then you say, you know what? We feel good about where we are in the division. Let's start thinking more about October, uh, which is a, obviously a very dangerous thing for any Mets organization mm-hmm. to think about but should be part of the calculation in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm glad you brought up Acuna, but it is, uh, it's good. You brought up Acuna just because it, it really can't be overstated. I think how devastating that is to, to the Braves. Uh, also, I mean, just to the quality of, of major league baseball, like as someone who has really despised that team for, for such a long time, that guy rules. And, uh, you know, what, what a shame that he won't be part of, of any sort of pennant race in, in the NL East this year. But uh, definitely uh, something that bodes, I think, much better for the Mets, than, you know, than, than it, it did a, a couple of weeks ago. Just this is an, an a viable MVP candidate. Uh, undoubtedly the best position player. And that's no disrespect to Freddie Freeman, who's really good, but uh, Cunha's having a, a better season. He's a more dynamic player. Uh, he's a more valuable defender. He's He is one of the best players in, in the world. So uh, losing him is, I think, to me, that that kind of takes the Braves from that position where you said as the, the most legitimate threat to... Maybe a threat, but like it, Jock Peterson isn't gonna isn't gonna make up that difference. Uh, and, and with no disrespect to him, it's just it's not Acuna. Um, and so now I don't even know. Like I, I guess it's the Phillies, right? Like, but um, I don't know how afraid you need to be of the Phillies. This sounds like uh, a foolish amount of confidence to be speaking with in the middle of July. And so I just want to move on before we say well, that no one's gonna catch the Mets. Well, I was going to say that to argue against myself, uh, you know, you see the Acuna injury for Atlanta and, you know, we've, we've had so many injuries in the sport uh, so far this year and some serious ones. The Mets clearly know that well themselves. Uh, and we went through their first half awards and gave them exclusively to one man. Uh, and if you are the Braves, Nationals or Phillies, you can say to yourself, you know, 
if Jacob deGrom goes down for, for any amount of time, the Mets are clearly a very different team without him. Even when he missed just a, a little bit of time on the injured list earlier this season, that was a real scramble for the Mets and their pitching staff. And that was when kind of more guys were held. That's when they had David Peterson and Joey Lucchese uh, in their rotation. So uh, you can say to yourself uh, as a team chasing the Mets, like, you know, they're also one bad injury away from being in the, the same spot we're in. So we shouldn't necessarily give up with two and a half months left. Bite your tongue, Tim Britton. Let's never speak of that again. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, The Mets drafted Kumar Rocker, one of the two guys in the draft that I had heard of. Yeah, you know, him and his teammate, Jack Leiter, were the the guys that everyone knew. Uh, And Rocker, I, I think, you know, coming into the spring college baseball season, he was uh, the only guy I'd heard of. I had I didn't find out about Jack Leiter until like the middle of the season. Uh, Kumar Rocker was like the, the single college baseball player I was aware of entering the season, and now he's on the Mets. Yeah, the, the, I think the thought was he was going to be a top two or three pick at that point, maybe the favorite to go first overall. Uh, and you know, pitchers don't generally go first overall. You you, you kind of tend to go with position players there. Uh, but even as as late as like. I think two days before the draft, you know, Keith Law at the Athletic had a mock draft that had the Rangers taking uh, Kumar Rocker second overall, uh, and instead he fell all the way to tenth to the Mets. The uh, Major League Baseball draft is weird in that those kinds of things happen more uh, often in in mm-hmm. the baseball draft than they do in like the NBA draft or or the NFL draft uh, because of kind of how teams have figured out how to use their slot money. So you had. Uh, the Tigers, for instance, the the Royals and the Orioles ahead of the Mets kind of go with underslot first round guys, uh, which kind of kept Rocker out of the picture for them. Once Kansas City didn't take him at number seven, uh, it, it looked like it would get to the Mets at 10. I was surprised the Angels took a college pitcher who was not Kumar Rocker. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense from their perspective, uh, but it's it's a kind of, you know, more or less a coup for the Mets in the in the draft to get a talent of that level uh, at the 10th pick. Uh, a guy who 
uh, is you know also fills a major weakness for them in the the farm system as a a front line starting pitching prospect. Uh, they don't have a lot of those. The ones they do are either uh, in the midst of recovering from Tommy John, have just come back from Tommy John surgery, like JT Ginn, or are going through the rehab process now, like Matt Allen. Uh, so Rocker kind of slots in there, I think, as a probably a top five Mets prospect and probably their best pitching prospect, given that Allen is coming off the surgery uh, and really fortifies that area for him. And I think probably there's there's an exciting he's an exciting prospect in in some ways when when you consider that Ronnie Mauricio and, and Francisco Alvarez, the the other biggest prospects in the system are A-ball players and, and uh, guys who are a little bit younger than Rocker, and so uh, you have to assume a little bit further away. This is a guy with, with three years of experience at, I arguably, the top baseball program in the country, a very, very professional, uh, uh, in, I mean, in, in a matter of words, uh, operation at Vanderbilt. And so I think, is it reasonable for me to hope that, like, we see Kumar Rocker sometime before, you know, maybe by, like, by the start of 2023? Yeah, I, I think that's not that's not unreasonable. I, I, I would not expect to see him do a whole lot this year. I know there were some Mets fans who were like, he can for, he, he can be the, the boost to the starting rotation right away. Uh, and I, I don't know of an example of a guy getting drafted and then uh, starting games for a team. Uh, this season he was drafted. I think Chris Sale appeared in relief a bit. So did uh, Garrett Crochet last year for the White Sox. Uh, but you uh, know, did Mike? Did Mike Leak? I know Mike Leak skipped the minors. That, but that did he might. Do it? He might. Yeah, that might work. Mike Leak. Uh, I don't Cincinnati. know if it was the year he was drafted or if it was the year after he was drafted, though. But with with Rocker, you know, he threw 122 innings with Vanderbilt. Uh, that would, I uh, believe. <laughs> That would lead not that would lead the Mets. I wonder would that lead the major leagues right now uh, in terms of uh, how many innings he's thrown so far this year. Uh, it would. He has thrown more more innings this season than any pitcher in Major League Baseball has. That Zach Wheeler's at 119 and two thirds. So uh, I, I think I, I would not expect the Mets to push him hard in the minor league season. We already the draft is already later uh, than usual. It's a month later than usual this year. Uh, so you have less minor league season to go. Uh, and uh, so I would just not expect, you know, he might make a start or two at the end of the year, but I, I would think that would be it. Uh, and then get into instruction in the, you know, fall instructional league and all that stuff before hitting the ground running next year. Uh, and I think he could be uh, a guy who starts in, in a ball next year, but moves relatively fast uh, and could be an option by, you know, this time next year uh, down the stretch of 2022 and, and then into 2023. I am psyched about it again because he's he's the guy I've heard of. He better not uh, be someone I hate in two years, um, as as so often happens with with the best prospect. Um, I'm kidding. I don't hate him. Other people do. Uh, we have a we have a good question, but we we also have we have a good Mets question. We also have a good life question. Someone want to know uh, specifically. Someone wanted to ask ask me uh, what episode it was where we gave book recommendations. Uh, I didn't look back to to figure it out so i figured this might be a good opportunity for a fresh book recommendation do you have one do i have to give a I'm, i see i don't remember what i said last time and i'm afraid i'm going to give the same ones um uh, you give a bunch you gave a bunch i remember I said uh, there was a there was some ted chang in yes, there yeah that, that was probably that, that's been one of my go-to uh fiction uh recommendations uh let me let me pull up you know i 
I, I thought about rereading this recently, and I haven't yet, but uh, a book called Who Killed Palomino Malero by Mario Vargas Llosa uh, is just a very short, like 150-page kind of thing that I remember really liking. I read it in like 2017 or 2018. Uh, that one was really good. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, uh, I forget if I might have mentioned this last time. A, a classic that I recently got to and enjoyed more than I expected was uh, The Red and the Black by Stendhal. Uh, that that's a book that I feel like gets overlooked most time. Like it's the kind of book you would read in school, but almost no one does read it in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, I, I didn't. I I mean I had it on my shelf for like fifteen years, and finally decided like oh let's give this a shot, and it was it was quite good. Uh, I recently read this is like pretty far from my normal uh, something I might normally read uh, a book called No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. Uh, it's like. Almost as much, I mean, it's it's not fully clear that you would call it fiction. It's categorized as fiction. It sounds like uh, a whole lot of it is is drawn on her real life and reality. And it's um, it's got elements of it that are like almost uh, as much a, a prose poem of sorts as, as a, a novel. Um, but it is, uh, I mean, it, it was like a, a, I thought, breathtakingly insightful look specifically like she didn't say twitter she's clearly talking about twitter um and for anyone who has spent too much time on twitter it will make you think in like new and concerning and interesting ways about that that medium and that website um and and then on top of it it just has this there's like this sort of like beautiful human story to the to the book as well uh, I heartily recommend it. It's a, it was a, it was a real short book as well, so um, you know, it takes you like eight hours to read, and uh, will probably save you that amount of time. Uh, certainly, I found in in how much it keeps you off Twitter. Yeah, that that is always the goal of like that. That's my New Year's resolution. It's my second half of the season resolution. Is just like maybe not have it open all the time. Maybe not while Ted is giving his book recommendation. Uh, be scrolling through Twitter and seeing what people are saying already. You know, uh, it's. Just... I mean, I'll say that I finished the book and I was like, I gotta follow Slade on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, that's my first move. I finished the book. I was like, this is an incredible book. I just wonder if she's on Twitter, and I went went and followed her. Uh, and sure enough, she's on there and pretty good. Yeah, it's it is rare. Like the public figure that you follow on Twitter and like more for doing so. Uh, I, I feel like in general, like you follow comedians or. Uh, actors or any kind of celebrity uh, authors uh, and you're just like oh like this is you're a bit mon- more mundane than I expected I thought everything was gonna yeah. hit and it, it doesn't uh, yeah she I mean just like it's it is almost I would say the book is like almost frustratingly wise you're like why couldn't I have seen the world this way before I read this book um, it was so good I it really it blew me away uh, a question on the Mets from my childhood neighbor pat who has emailed us before he wants to know um he says is it reasonable to expect conforto lindor and mcneil to progress to their offensive means in the second half if so is there an estimated war that those three players can bring if they become the offensive players we expected them to be he says anecdotally it feels like if these guys get hot we should be able to win 92 plus games rather than the 88 mets on pace for now is there a way to quantify that um, and you can, you can give me a lot more here, but I would say, um, I think, uh, uh, I mean, 
regression or progression or reversion to the mean is certainly factored into the major projection systems on the Mets. And, and I, we talked at the top of the show all about the, the very, the many Mets players underperforming on the offensive side and the guys sort of overperforming on the pitching side. Um, you can't, you can't hope for the, the return to the mean from the hitters without considering that the pitchers do the same thing. I also think um, if you look at those systems, they, they mostly say um, 88, 89 wins for the Mets. Uh, that is a reflection of those systems' belief that the Mets will play better for the second half, even though it's not far from their regular pace. It's that um, their, their run differential right now is, is plus nine. They have not played as a team that should be seven games over 500. Um, and so the projection system sort of expect that they are uh, as good as their current record because their current record is a little bit better than one might expect given their performance in the first half. Yeah, I, I'm looking here at uh, Baseball Prospectus has them, you know, at, at 89 wins, uh, a 549 win percentage the rest of the way, which is better than the 540 they've posted. Uh, fan graphs has them with a 557 uh, rest of season win percentage uh, that, that would get them through there. Uh, both of them have them with uh, playoff odds over 75%, um, 76.6 on, on Prospectus, 77.2 on fan graphs. I mean, I, I think... You can say in general that the offense should be better because, you know, if A, it's just healthier, uh, so you're giving fewer at-bats to, uh, you know, you look on the the baseball reference page for the Mets, you're giving fewer at-bats to guys like Brandon Drury, Mason Williams, Cameron Mabin, uh, you know, Janeshwi Fargus, Khalil Lee, uh, and then also the the Pilar, Peraza, uh, McKinney, Guillaume range. The guys, guys who have done well, who have filled in quite well. Uh, but who are not, you know, the their uh, projected ceiling is not the same as it is for uh, the guys who are coming back from the injured list, especially offensively. Uh, I don't know that you can say like, like I, I feel confident in saying that like Michael Conforto will be bet will have a better than 646 OPS or Dominic Smith will be better than a 710. Uh, but you know, when you're talking about like six different guys you expect to be better, uh, the likelihood is that at least one of them isn't, you know, that, that someone mm -hmm. is going to, that this is just what they are this year, uh, whether that is, you know, a, a James McCann or Jeff McNeil or a, a Lindor or Conforto, like that someone's just going to have a, a down year. And, and even like you have to realize with these guys, the end of the season numbers aren't going to be nice and shiny. Uh, you know, Conforto is not going to hit 30 home runs. He's got three right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think players have to come to terms with what their numbers are going to look like at the end of the year, even if they perform well in the second half. Uh, and, and fans will have to recognize improvement even when the overall numbers don't look really good. Like if Conforto gets to a 100 OPS plus uh, from his current 84, like that's going to take a lot of work. Um, he's going to have a pretty good second half and it's still going to look like a relatively pedestrian year and a down year for him. Uh, so that's uh, kind of how you've got to keep that in perspective. But I think in general, yes, you can say that the Mets should score more runs uh, than multiple teams in Major League Baseball rather than the one team they've scored more than so far this year, the team they're playing this weekend. Uh, yeah, that is a, a very good way of putting it. This, this offense uh, may not be what we hoped it would be, but it's definitely better than what we've seen so far. Uh, and... That seems like a, a good note to end on as the Mets begin second half play tonight in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's 
sorry, the, the sirens in your background are... are yes, I uh, am very much outside right now. I was I was trying to make like a uh, a joke about the timing of that as you're saying the Mets offense is going to get better and we hear sirens. Um, Their cops are but that's that's for the me. joke. Yeah, for, that's a, that, the I, police. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know the the second it it will be an interesting one. The Mets are going to be buyers at the deadline for the first time in five years. Uh, they're in first place at the All Star break. I think for the first time since 2007. Is it? Uh, I should probably know that. Um, yeah. So it, it's, <laughs> it's what are you looking up, at me for? <laughs> it's setting up to be uh, you know, as exciting a second half as, as this team has had in, in quite some time uh, and we will of course be around to talk about it starting early next week Tim, peace out adios